CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, welcome to The Hash on Coindesk TV. I'm Zach Seward. I'm joined by Jen Sinassi and Will Foxley. And we are here to talk about crypto stuff. You ready for this thing? I know I am. Let's go. Michael Saylor. This guy, this guy, this guy. He loves one thing in this world, and it's Bitcoin. His company, MicroStrategy, now holds $4.6 billion worth of Bitcoin. That could be significantly larger should the price continue to grow. That's about 12,000 more Bitcoins than it was in the last two months. And man, This story just keeps on happening. It's deja vu. You wake up, Michael Saylor bought a bunch of Bitcoin from MicroStrategy. It's just sitting there in a big, giant Scrooge McDuck-style pool for him to dive in at will. Let's talk about this thing. Jen, what do you think? MicroStrategy, the conviction is not waning. They're still here. They're still buying more Bitcoins. What do you think? We need that Scrooge McDuck image just every time we talk about MicroStrategy's Bitcoin bags. I think it would be a great addition to the show. So this is uh, MicroStrategy's largest purchase since prices peaked in 2021. I think it's just like insane that we talk about Michael Saylor at least once a month when he's saying, you know, maybe MicroStrategy is looking into using the technology behind Bitcoin, or they filed an SEC filing and we've learned that he's bought up so much more Bitcoin. My mouth was just moving with no words because I can't even quote the amount of Bitcoin he has because he has so, so much. I think it was two weeks ago we talked um, about Sailor reacting to the SEC lawsuits against Coinbase and Binance. And he said that this just reaffirmed that the industry should double down on Bitcoin because Bitcoin doesn't get caught up in all of this regulatory hoopla we have going on here in North America. And I think Michael Sailor is just putting his money where his mouth is. I said on the show before, you know, when Michael Sailor uh, moved into the chairman role and away from the CEO role. I wasn't sure that we would continue to see MicroStrategy double down on this strategy, but they continue to and good for them. I look forward to the day when we see other news come out of MicroStrategy, maybe some development in, in some product they're working on. I guess I'll just have to hold on until that day comes. Will, what do you think? Yeah, a few thoughts on this. One, seems like the purchase price of this pretty advantageous. Bitcoin has been going up 
and they purchase this on the rise, but their average Bitcoin purchase price over the years is now lower than the price of Bitcoin as of right now. I believe their average purchase entry price is around $29,000. Average price of Bitcoin right now is around 30K, right? So they're barely in the green, which is nice because for a while there, they were just completely in the red, right? It was a, it was a tough spot to be in. Second part about this, this was paid for by shares. They issued more shares and they were able to purchase Bitcoin by selling those shares onto the open market. Sort of leans into like this whole idea of like, what are stocks and what is the modern economy based on? Like this fiat money that can be printed. A lot of people, especially in Bitcoin circles, don't like the stocks. They don't like equities. They don't like the sort of like fiat based economy we have because they think that it just bleeds money out through inflation. So a lot of people have looked at this and been like, this is actually a pretty solid trade because you are buying a hard asset, Bitcoin, that has a set inflation schedule that everybody knows about, that has a set supply limit. You're trading that for shares in a fiat denominated world, right? Where uh, we don't know what fiat is going to happen. We don't know what the interest rate is going to be in a few weeks. We don't know all that. So I think that's a strong point in favor of Michael Zayer kind of staying with the Bitcoin maxi beat. On the other side, talking about all this, I am interested to see what happens in the next few weeks with the ETF thing, right? So Jen, you talked about how there's not a lot of regulatory uncertainty with Bitcoin. Well, there is when it comes to the ETF products, right? And so a lot of people have looked at what Michael Saylor has done with his stock and his company and the fact that they are purchasing so many Bitcoins. And you do see a very strong correlation between the price of Bitcoin and the price of MicroStrategy stock. Some people are saying that it's basically made itself into an ETF through the back door. We'll see if that sort of changes with more competition coming to the beat, right? If we could have a lot of these ETFs pop up at the end of the summer, well, maybe that there's more competition and buyers are leaving MicroStrategy and purchasing something else. I'm not sure. Zach? Yeah, the approval of a spot Bitcoin ETF could spell the end of like the Bitcoin proxy stock, whether that's MicroStrategy, whether that's the Bitcoin mining firms. Last bull market, we saw a lot of people just betting on Bitcoin by way of these associated stocks. And, you know, should we see a wave of spot Bitcoin ETF approvals significantly changes the calculus uh, over in the world of equity. So interesting to see, certainly at this time when it's all of a sudden like ETF is the only thing anyone's ever talking about. So to see this drop now, certainly it's inflected with a bit of different context. But hey, who knows? All right, Jen, last word on this one. Yeah, I guess I'll just note that this has been tracked and it was published on Coindesk this morning that Bitcoin has registered an average daily return of negative 2% on micro strategy buying Bitcoin news. So maybe maybe we're going to dip below 30K today, but I think it does usually bounce back. So Should we short? Should we short Bitcoin it. on the hash? I mean, sure. Financial <laughs> advice, friends. That is straight financial advice. Okay, let's go over to Europe and talk about EU and its dreams of a CBDC. The European Commission published legislation plans to underpin a digital euro on Wednesday. This is a live reporting from Coindesk in Brussels, Belgium. Of course, the European Commission is a separate body from the ECB, the European Central Bank, but it does have to okay a lot of the stuff that the ECB is going to do. The ECB, for what's worth, and we've talked about it on the show quite a bit, has been moving forward with CBDC plans. Probably one of the most aggressive bodies to be doing so, actually. The nice bit about this is it seems to be some sort of agreement between the ECB and the European Commission on the scope of the CBDC, the importance of it, and also the privacy implications of a CBDC, noting that they shouldn't be able to track or stop certain purchases uh, through this CBDC, but they will retain some programmability within the CBDC, such as allowing for automatic payments at a certain time. 
Now, there is some contention here, right? We've talked about CBDCs on the show. So the privacy angle is one part. Another part about this is commercial banks who also issue money through their own banking structures. And with a CBDC, you might see a, a way where the European Central Bank or other central banks are able to cut out the middlemen here being the commercial banks. So it might have some more friction in the future. But for now, it looks like these government bodies are quite on board with making more CBDC news. Jen, I'll throw it over to you. Yeah, I'm kind of jumping on Zach's train now. It's nice to see the conversation moving forward. I don't think we can avoid a CBDC, but I think that these are all points. Yeah, Zach, raise that roof. Points that we should uh, be talking about. I think some of the things that they're looking to solve uh, based on this report is pretty interesting. They're saying, you know, they want to be able that they can, they want to be able to get this digital money to everyone everywhere for free. And they wrote addressing people in remote areas, which hasn't really come up in the CBDC discussion that we've had here on the show, at least in the articles that we've, we've spoken about. And I think about people who live in remote areas, they often live far away from banks. They often, uh, transact more in cash. And if this can offer a solution to them, I think it's cool. It, it moves the financial industry in one way, but I, I'm still very skeptical when it comes to data protection and privacy. I know in this um, report, they said that data pr- privacy could potentially be, I don't have the exact quote in front of me. They, they noted higher data protection standards. And I think that it was implied just because, you know, this is now going to be overseen by the government and there would be higher data protection standards there. I don't know if that is necessarily true. We've seen data breaches on a governmental level before, and I don't know that that the government is necessarily any better than a private company or a commercial bank. And I am still skeptical when it comes to privacy, even if the payments are taken offline. But who knows? Maybe I'll be proven wrong. Zach, what do you think? Programmable money. It's going to get weird. You know, we've seen this in China where it's like, hey, we give you the CBDC, you got to send it, but you got to spend it by a certain time or else it goes away, right? That's like the programmability. That's a downside. That's something that a lot of people are scared of, rightfully so, right? But then again, uh, EU, I think, is certainly, uh, you know, acting as they normally do on online privacy, right? It's something that they very uh, are active about over in the EU with the GDPR and, you know, cookies and all that jazz. It's something that they think about very thoughtfully, I guess. So it seems far for the course that this would be a big part of their conversation. I guess in a world where like CBDCs exist in different flavors, like these, you know, private cryptocurrencies, which is what sort of the government regulators call it, not private in the sense of like Zcash or Monero, but private in that they're privately issued as opposed to being publicly issued. There could become like, you know, interesting momentum behind private cryptocurrencies, because you're going to have this suite of CBDCs that have all this programmability, that have this convenience, potentially have some sort of like government overreach downsides. If everything's digital, then you have this alternative universe of actual cryptocurrencies that don't have any of that stuff, right? They aren't issued by a central bank. They aren't overseen by a political class. They exist transnationally to do stuff. So that is kind of like the Star Wars war that we're going to see, I think, mount over time, especially as CBDCs and digital money just becomes the norm. I think it's going to be people choosing which path of digital money they actually like. Do they want something that has the ease, convenience, and government backing? Or do they want something that isn't at all controlled by the government and can't be snooped on, controlled, or otherwise manipulated to make sure the national economies are operating smoothly? And I think that's really going to be an interesting point in time. Because right now, maybe uh, the use case for a lot of cryptocurrencies isn't really all the way there yet. But in that context, where the CBDC is the other alternative for digital money, certainly decentralized cryptocurrencies become a bit more attractive. So that's, I think, the big picture. We sort of always allude to this big picture, but it is worth expressing that, that that's what things seem to be heading toward. 
So I'll toss it to Will. I mean, he could like do like a Bitcoin fixes this like rallying cry right now. And that would be sweet. Oh, yeah. But yeah, curious for his thoughts. Oh, yeah. No, I did think about Bitcoin during this because the article mentions cash, right? And the, the CBDC stuff always brings up cash. Are we going to have cash in the future? Is cash going to be outlawed? What is the government thinking about cash once we go fully digital? And to the point in this article, they do talk about it say like, hey, we don't want to be anti-cash, but we... We're going to have a CBDC, like got to get used to that. And they do want to have some elements of cash baked into the CBDC. And that's pretty great, right? Like the fact that you can have basically Apple Pay, but it's really just digital cash on your phone. It's highly convenient. To Zach's point, you can pay your taxes with it really simply. That's nice. But the privacy concerns are always there. And so I think like Bitcoin and some alternative currencies like Zcash, Monero will also exist. The question for those things is, will all the CBDC stuff as it's coming out, also be brought along with other regulations that basically make holding these coins illegal or transacting these other coins illegal, these privacy coins, right? That's always been a huge concern for a lot of these people. And that's why they've tried to disseminate and move Bitcoin or move other cryptos into other people's hands, privacy coins, nonetheless. We'll see if that really happens. I, the thing with privacy coins is no one cares about it. No one cares about privacy until you have to care about it. And I think that could be a reason that they just, they just don't really click with anyone. Last thought on this is exchanges, right? We saw news this morning that KuCoin is going to start forcing mandatory KYC. We're going to see more of this. It's like everything's kind of moving slowly in the same direction. This road to boring is more like like a very slow avalanche down the street and and picking up all these things along with it. So you're going to have like exchanges do KYC, CBDCs coming out with maybe some privacy tech, privacy coins getting booted. I don't know. It's all kind of nefarious and sad, but you guys are cheering along for it. So. I don't know. I'm kind of sad. Automated Zach. taxes. Taxes, Ooh. man. Love yep. that. Love, I'm with love Zach on that one. I hate it. Just <laughs> hit that tax button. Boom. Easy button. CBDCs. Thanks. <laughs> All right. That's it. We're going to leave CBDCs there. We'll talk about it, I'm sure. Probably next week. We're always talking about CBDCs. All right. Let's go talk about Ledger. The hardware giant is working on an exchange for institutional clients in the wake of almost everyone falling apart last year. They think that they have a spot in the market for transparency and going by the rule book. They're working with a number of other crypto exchanges to be able to boot up their own exchange, including Crypto.com, Bitstamp, Huobi, Uphold, CEX.io, Winterview, and many other trading firms. Now, the question, of course, is can Ledger get past the wake of its past incidences with its own hardware company where they've accidentally leaked some customer information a few times and more recently have uh, implemented a new policy into some of their hardware wallets that enabled the hardware wallet itself to be able to extract the seed phrase from the ledger device. That was met by a lot of upset fans on Bitcoin Twitter. Now the question is, can this move over into a different vertical with trading and can their brand do so? Zach, I saw your hand go up. I'll give it to you. I think the answer is yes. Ledger's been around for a long time. They are a stalwart of the crypto space. If you really think about it, they're one of the few that stood the test of last year, right? Like name a bigger crypto company right now besides like Coinbase. Ledger is certainly up there, at least top five. They're cool. They're French. They're going to do institutional (laughs) in a way that's going to work. I'm pulling for them. I think it's going to work. This is similar to like Fireblocks and stuff, right? It's custody, but gives you the functionality to trade these assets uh, in near real time. And that's what a lot of these trading partners are looking for, right? Um, it is perfectly sensible that this firm would move more heavily into enterprise or institutional custody. It's something that Coinbase has had a ton of success with. 
if you look at a lot of their public filings, especially when they went public, it's just uh, staggering to realize that a lot of their business is indeed on that side through Coinbase custody. So the idea that there's room in the market, I think certainly makes sense in different jurisdictions where these companies operate. So Ledger stepping in there, trying to leverage its sort of more retail known brand into a more institutional offering makes a ton of sense. And I don't see why uh, it wouldn't necessarily work. But, you know, obviously the devil is in the details and things could go south. I don't know, Will. Do you think that's the case? Yeah, I think it's actually a pretty smart idea to do this, right? I think that right now Ledger does have some ability to like sell Bitcoin or buy Bitcoin right directly from the Ledger app. Like if you do plug it into computer and to be able to build out this more makes a lot of sense. Exchanges make the most money with the implosion of FTX and the crackdown on Binance, Kraken and Coinbase. I think there's room in the market for another player. Ledger has been around forever. So there is some like skepticism around Ledger because again, they've had the one instance where they lost customer identities uh, through a leakage incident, which does happen to most every company in using the internet these days. And then most recently with the seed extraction product they were coming to market with, which I believe now has been delayed. So those two things are maybe reasons that people would be skeptical about this product. But oftentimes, this product isn't for those people, right? This is for institutional. So we'll see what happens. Jen? Yeah, I think in both of those instances, you mentioned Will. It's about how you communicate, how you move on, how you continue to build out and ensure that these things don't happen again. And Zach, to your point, I think Ledger has stood the test of time and they've shown that they can be adaptable to feedback and, and you know, fix issues that would maybe lead to data breaches. I think what's interesting about Ledger is it seems like they really watched the FTX implosion. They watched what was happening with the domino effect that rippled through the industry and they came up with solutions both for um, retail users and institutional users. They obviously tried to roll out um, their recover solution. We're met with backlash. That's on pause now. And now the institutional play. I think probably both of these products have been um, being developed for a long time. And I think it's going to work. If you look at the partners who they already have on board, I think those are great partners to start with. And I'm with, I'm with both of you. I, I'm rooting for Ledger on this one. Hey, you never know. I mean, strange things happen in crypto. Like yeah. these partners, it could be, it could be bad. You never know. You just could never be. know. Not definitely not to FUD. Yeah, not to FUD the before. roster here. But things, <laughs> yeah. things can go south here in crypto. But I think this is probably on pretty firm footing, at least. I think going back to like the whole the past episode with, uh, sorry, recover. I guess what it was called. So mm -hmm. it sort of represents kind of where Ledger is, right? In the wake of FTX, I think they announced that they had seen like their most sales ever for their hardware devices that are obviously more retail focused. They're sort of in the middle ground where they're trying to like serve a diehard audience that they pretty much own. And they're trying to grow to new audiences and get self-custody to more people such that maybe those people can avoid the stuff that happened with all these subsequent collapses, right? So I think they're, they are sort of in this moment where they're trying to figure out what that next step is. And they're trying to push the boundaries of what that may be. You know, Recover was an attempt to be more mainstream friendly on the retail side. And now, obviously, with this institutional push, they see opportunity there as well. So it's interesting to see, like, you kind of see Ledger, you know, bumping up against its current limits and trying to figure out what it becomes in its next iteration, which I think is interesting to watch just from a business coverage perspective. Anyway, that's all I got. Let's talk about NFTs, though. Jen. What's going on with the NFT? So uh, big drama on Twitter. Azuki NFT prices slid 44% in the last 24 hours. After Elementals, the company's new collection was slammed by holders and market watchers. This is because the new collection looks oddly similar to the original collection and people are mad. 
Now, this second collection raked in, I think, almost $40 million for the NFT creators. And now people are like, hey, this looks like you just copied the first one. So what am I supposed to do here? Uh, Will, what do you think? I thought this was hilarious. I loved it. I was watching yesterday this unfold on Twitter. And then I watched the Azuki main Twitter account try to post like an apology for blatantly copy pasting their old artwork and reselling it again. And I thought it was just great. There's a lot of people who are unhappy with this. The price on a lot of the associated tokens and NFTs for this project declined precipitously because of what happened. And to be frank, I just don't understand why they did this, right? So again, they, they sold this artwork ahead of time without revealing it. People love the original collection, so they bought into the brand, right? And there's only a few NFT collections that have had staying brand through a bear market. Even right now, we're seeing some of the Bored Ape stuff start to fall apart as some of these uh, influencers who did hold Bored Apes have started to sell them off. So we're only seeing a few collections really stay. Azuki seemed to be one of those. A lot of hype built for this collection to drop. And then they just, I don't know why they did this to themselves. I, I read the Twitter thread from the main count, and they did say that they wanted to keep some of like the elements within the first origination of these NFTs to be similar so they could bring more people into the community and they could have like you know, similar NFTs. I just still don't get it though. It seemed like it was too similar. And if you look at them side by side, they are nearly identical, like nearly identical. Maybe some of the colors are slightly different or like a few things are slightly different. But yeah, I, I think it's like way more than just like whiffing at that. I, I think they just completely threw the ball the wrong way. And now they're going to have to deal with it. Like a lot of these NFT projects are struggling right now. And they could have had a great launch and a great product for it, but might not be the case now. Zach? Communities are just fickle things, right? Like everyone's critic. Like I'm sure it would be some other type of being mad online if it was su- super different from what Azuki is known for visually. So I, I don't, I don't know. Like, are are people really mad? Are people really, really mad? I guess they my question would be: Twitter. They're they're oh, they're, oh, Twitter, okay. Zach. they're mad on, oh, they're mad there. on Twitter. Oh, okay, they're mad on Twitter. <laughs> Got it. All right, sounds good. Cool. Mad on Twitter. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, wait, so this is my question to you, Jen. So was it only people who had existing Azukis could get this new round of Azukis? Was that, was that what I read in the piece or is that not right? I believe so. I stand to be corrected, but that's what the piece said. If you had it, you, you could mint this new Azuki. You didn't know what the artwork was and it was revealed later. I believe the mint price was two ETH. And like I said in the intro, the, the whole project, I think, made 30 eight million dollars and will you brought up the apology i just wanted to read it so we get it on the record here Mizuki's response was we hear you the mint process was hectic the pfps feel similar and even worse dilutive to azuki our ambitious goals led to a new collection which confused the community on the tangible differences with the original azuki collection and so that's where we are. This reminds me of the designer fashion world. You know, when a designer works with, I don't know, a more fast fashion brand like H&M and people say they're like never going to buy that designer item anymore because they sold out and they made like a cheaper, more accessible version. It's not exactly the same, but that's where my mind went. That's fair. Yeah, that's a that's fair comparison. <laughs> that's like not my world though. So I didn't think about that. We know, Sorry. Will. We know. <laughs> One of the tweets highlighted did say it's like the Walmart version, which I thought was pretty funny. But yeah, yeah. I mean, these things cost like two ETH, right? Which is like $3,600 at current prices. So certainly a pretty hefty investment. I can imagine plopping down two ETH, being really excited to see something new. And yes, if you got the copy pasta, that would be rather disappointing. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's good that they still have a community, right? Maybe that's a silver lining. 
The community is still here and loud and displeased. Maybe engaged. that's a good thing. They're and engaged. angry. Engaged. Yes. Engagement doesn't always have to be positive. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Probably like the comments on that this so video. Lame. It's going to be great. All right. Sweet. That's so funny. Well, they right-click save the right-click savers. Like, I love it. All right. Anyway, that's it. We'll stop talking. That's it for the show today. <laughs> Shut it down, folks. Thanks for being here. This has been The Hash on Coindesk TV and the Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Zach Seward. That's Jensen Assey. Will Foxley is also a co-host. We'll talk to you soon, I hope. And we hope you're having a good day as well. All right. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 